According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since we look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me, if you would, once again in Matthew chapter 28. We are going to be in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. Simultaneously. Hard to do in a paper Bible, but we'll do our best. Four separate gospel records. Appreciate the photocopies. Uh, We have a handout this morning titled The Resurrection. And uh, this is from a uh, resource I mentioned last time, would have been two weeks ago, uh, by Cheney, Stanley A. Ellison and Johnston M. Cheney, a book called Jesus Christ, The Greatest Life. And this book has gone through so many different editions and versions. Uh, It's actually a blending of two different books, one by Ellison and one by Cheney. Uh, Some of the older ones by Cheney are called uh, The Life of Christ in Stereo, I think, uh, also The Greatest Life. In any event, the most recent publication of this, uh, Paradise Publishing, 1999, really blends Ellison's and Cheney's works together in the way that it does. And this is a not just a harmony of the gospel, but this is a blended gospel narrative, is what this is. And what you have in this text is every word of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, if the word is repeated, it's not necessarily repeated here. All right? Um, you know, the same word that's used all four times doesn't get redundantly repeated four times in Cheney's text. But if, the, if a word is found in Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, if it's found in any of the four Gospels, it has to be in this text. John's, uh, Cheney made very... Uh, uh, a hard effort to make sure that every word of the Bible was included in uh, in his blended gospel account. So what you have here is a blend between Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20, at least so far as the verses are concerned that relate to the uh, the resurrection, the empty tomb on that Sunday morning. And I believe he includes in Mark uh, verses 9, 10, and 11, which I would not. I would end Mark 16 with with verse 8. Um, but that's what he did. So this is this is his text, and you have the the basic text itself. It's got a whole bunch of footnotes, and the footnotes are on the back. Um, footnotes two ninety seven through three ten. So you got fourteen different footnotes there, um, interspersed throughout the uh, the verses themselves. Anyway, this is useful, absolutely useful. It is one. Uh, method or one um, outline for how to harmonize all four accounts. It's not the only outline for harmonizing all four accounts. Uh, We realize that anytime we're going to take the four gospel records and put them together into a sequence, that there's room for um, disagreement, there's room for slight distinctions, there's room for a variety of, of different understandings of that. And we have to at least be uh, uh, relaxed and humble enough to to know that anytime you pick up a harmony of the Gospels, there's going to be differences because people find different ways to reconcile the different passages. So anyway, that's I'm not going to read it to you. You can take it home and read it and be blessed by it. I've uh, I've enjoyed it through the years. <clears throat> Matthew 28. 
Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. All right, so there's our first of our four gospel records. Before we get started, let's start with a word of prayer, asking God the Father to sanctify our thinking, to bless our study in truth. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do rejoice over your faithfulness. We thank you for this opportunity to assemble this morning. We thank you for the week off that we had because of the blessings of the VBS you allowed us to take part in and we, we were still rejoicing over the salvation of the young ones that came to that saving knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, uh, as we now return to our Life of Christ series, we rejoice that once again it's our delight to fix our attention upon the empty tomb, the resurrection of our Savior, and the amazement that took hold on that uh, uh, Sunday, April 7th, 33 A.D., Father, as we study to show ourselves approved, we ask for your hand of blessing upon our time, that you would set aside distractions, you would give us the concentration necessary to, uh, to examine all four gospel accounts and to put them together into a sequence that is uh, uh, appropriate and fitting. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Now, uh, like I say, it has been a couple of weeks, so I'm not sure where we uh, exactly had left off. I'll just run through the outline and as quickly as I can, and then you tell me, stop, that's a, that's where we ended. 1B, okay, didn't get as far as I thought. Um, we are, in this outline anyway, combining the first four episodes in the resurrection through the ascension portion of our harmony, the resurrection ministry of Jesus Christ. He walked this earth for roughly 40 days after his resurrection, Uh, About 10 days prior to Pentecost is then when he ascended, and uh, then 10 days later is when uh, the Holy Spirit descended uh, on the day of Pentecost, day one of the church age. Uh, We have a total of 13 episodes that we're going to work our way through, although some of them should come very quickly. Episodes 10 and 11 aren't even in the Gospels. Uh, Episode 10 and 11 come from 1 Corinthians 15 in the outline of those appearances to whom Christ appeared. Uh, He appeared to uh, 500. He appeared to James. Um, The appearances of the Lord to his brothers, the appearances of the Lord beyond what are recorded in the gospel record are recorded in 1 Corinthians 15. Last of all, he appeared as to one as untimely born. He appeared to me also, Paul says, uh, with the Damascus Road appearance of Jesus Christ and the calling of the Apostle Paul to uh, apostolic ministry. So, you know, when we talk about the resurrection ministry of Jesus Christ, we're really talking about 40 days from uh, Easter Sunday on to 
uh, his ascension. And I believe included with the ascension, when we teach episode 13, I will also teach the session of Jesus Christ. Not just the fact that he arose, uh, that he you know, departed earth and entered into heaven, but what did he do when he got to heaven? He was seated at the Father's right hand. And what is his present role now at the Father's right hand in the session? All right, I think if you don't teach the session, uh, John Eichmann and I were talking about this just Monday. Uh, if you don't teach the session, then uh, I think you miss the entire point of the ascension. And so I'm going to be including that in the uh, the doctrinal study there of, of episode 13. Anyway, that's that's down the road. We're nowhere near episode 13 at this point. We're still in episodes 1, 2, 3, and 4. Women visit the tomb. Peter and John see the empty tomb. Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene and Jesus' appearance to other women and sorting these out and putting these in order one two three and four is not necessarily the easiest thing to do because the accounts that are recorded in the four gospels do have some divergent details and so we want to evaluate those divergent details and harmonize them together as we've been doing ever since the start of this study remember there's no lie anywhere in the bible no verse is incorrect So if we have a verse that says that the angel was sitting on top of the stone, then that means an angel was sitting on top of the stone. If there's a a verse that says there was an angel inside the tomb, then there was an angel looked like a young man inside the tomb. If there's a verse that says that there were two angels inside the tomb, that means there were two angels inside the tomb. And no one of those verses is wrong. Every verse is true. And uh, so then harmonizing them is the work that we do to, uh, to place them in the appropriate sequence that explains the, uh, explains the uh, realities for what they were. All right. We uh, got a good jump on it, I thought. There we go. I forgot I included that in there. There's episodes 1 through 13 that we'll be tackling before this series is complete. And uh, like I say, 10 and 11 are the appearances to the 500 and the appearances to, the appearance to James. Uh, they are not recorded in the Gospels, but they are recorded in 1 Corinthians 15. Likewise, the appearance to the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road uh, is not in the Gospels, and it's not in this chart, because even though this chart includes 1 Corinthians 15, this chart is limited to the resurrection through the ascension. And the appearance to Paul was after the ascension. It was... Um, a fair amount after the ascension, depending on how you sequence that. Uh, If the crucifixion was in 33 AD, when was the Apostle Paul's conversion uh, on the Damascus Road or his call to apostolic ministry? Was that also 33 AD? Was it 36 AD, 39 AD? How long was it when Stephen was stoned and and, uh, Paul was breathing fire headed off to Damascus? I don't need an answer today. It's just a different, different study. All right. Point one then, the first day of the week provides for a reality far greater than the Sabbath doctrine ever could. All four gospel records make it very clear that this uh, event takes place on Sunday, not Saturday. Uh, The significance of Sunday, that's why we assemble on Sunday in the church age. That's why Christianity has always held from the earliest of times Sunday as their primary day of assembly. Uh, only uh, here and there have there been fringe groups, here and there have there been Sabbath observant groups like the uh, Seventh-day Adventists and other groups throughout church history have occasionally been Sabbath observers. Uh, But for the most part, Sunday has been the day of rest. Sunday has even been called the Sabbath throughout church history, called the Christian Sabbath and so forth. Um, 
as far as it goes. I don't like to call Sunday the Christian Sabbath because I think Sabbath in the church age is, is every day, day by day, as long as it is called today. This is our day to, to be in the paterological rest uh, that he has provided for us in the church age. That's another study, book of Hebrews, not for today, but it is what it is. All right. Creation portrayed the seventh day as a day of rest, and that was true even before the law was given. It was codified in the law, made mandatory as an observance for Israel under Mosaic law, even at the point of capital punishment. If they violated the Sabbath, they were to be executed, cut off from among their people, physically executed, stoned to death for breaking the Sabbath. And you got examples of that in the wilderness wanderings. The fellow that went out there to pick up sticks and, and gather firewood on the Sabbath. Shouldn't have been gathering firewood on the Sabbath. Should have done that the day before. And uh, capital punishment assigned for violating the Sabbath. <coughs> Resurrection teaches the eighth day. That is the first day of a new week. In its significance as a day for bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all four Gospels make it very clear that the testimony of the risen Savior took place as the, as it was, the sun was coming up on that Sunday morning. And so we have sunrise services that have become the tradition in uh, Catholic and Orthodox and Protestant uh, branches of Christianity. All have these Easter uh, service, sunrise service traditions. You'll note that we have never had a sunrise service here. Not that I'm uh, doctrinally hostile to the idea, it's just that it's awfully early. <laughs> and uh, and for years and years and years, I wasn't even off work until 7 in the morning, and I was, you know, I was still at work when the sun came up, and uh, so forth. Who knows, maybe one of these years we'll finally do it, we'll, we'll promote it, and we'll uh, send out emails and schedule it, and get everybody all excited about it, and then you know, eight people will show up and be like a PMW class. But we'll uh, we'll just see how that goes. This day became known as the Lord's Day and became the primary Christian day of assembly. And I know we got that far. I remember reading that. Did we not get that far? All right. We did not get to the verses. All right. Well, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Revelation 1, 10. These all are given uh, really without proof. They're given um, uh, as a matter of course. In other words, they don't require a whole lot of explanation as they're written because they are assumed. They are assumed. So let's start with Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. It's like in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The existence of God is assumed in the writing of Genesis. It doesn't start by saying, you know, in the beginning there was a God, you know, that, that God exists. And it just assumes the existence of God when the scripture begins, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's, it's taken as a matter of course, it is an assumption within the text itself. Likewise, the uh, first day of the week as the Lord's day, the primary Christian day of assembly, is taken as a given it is assumed as a matter of course in the three places where it is indicated uh, as such in the New Testament. Acts 20 and verse 7, you'll note, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them intending to leave the next day and he prolonged his message until midnight. Now why do they have all this free time on the first day of the week? Why do they have all this free time? Shouldn't they be working? Why do they have all this free time? Was you know Sunday wasn't a wasn't a, a a day off in the in the Roman calendar, 
Okay. Why, uh, why were they observing this first day of the week? And, you know, the Jews weren't observing Sunday. The Jews had their Sabbath the day before. They were observing Saturday. And so it is interesting, um, the different aspects of it. The, um, primarily, Saturday became an opportunity for Christians to go ahead and attend synagogue worship, to go ahead and attend the temple in Jerusalem, to, to go to the Jewish gatherings. So when they were observing their Sabbath, they used it evangelistically. They used it to take part and listen to the Old Testament Bible reading and then witness for the reality of the risen Savior. They would do that on Saturday and then invite those Jewish people to come to their services the next day. Say, hey, tomorrow, by the way, it's not a Sabbath for you, but tomorrow... Go ahead and come to our services and we'll, we'll teach you what we believe is the, the application from Scripture. And so they ended up with a dynamic of both Saturday evangelistically and Sunday um, in their own services. And so uh, in any event, Paul began talking to them intending to leave the next day. So Monday becomes a travel day. Why is Monday a travel day? Well, because he's done with the full day of ministry on Sunday. Uh, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Why are they all, you know, man, you know, could you stay all day long? What if I said I'm not going to end at 11 o'clock, I'm going to stay till midnight? All right, I'm sure you guys have got places to go, things to do, stuff going on. Um, this isn't Sunday after all. I mean, it is a work day. We're here on a Wednesday morning. I get that. Um, kids are in school, stuff's going on. But on Sunday... On Sunday, what if I said, okay, 12.15, tell you what, we're not going to dismiss. Let's just stay. Instead of coming back for the evening service, let's just stay here through the whole day on into the evening service. And then even after in the evening, we'll, we'll wrap up about midnight. Okay? Could you stay for that? See, well, for many of us, it's not a work day. and I, Theoretically, maybe some of us could. Uh, these guys could, and they did. And they did. And uh, the young man, Eutychus, this is where he falls asleep, and, uh, and so forth. And then they didn't even stop there because they had gone back up and broken bread and eaten. They talked with him a long while until daybreak. This is the biblical tradition, by the way, that says it's okay if you lurk out in the parking lot long after the pastor drove home. All right, You can just stay to the late hours and talking and fellowshipping and reviewing what you heard and talking with him a long while until daybreak. Right? You want to go to Denny's, get some coffee or whatever? You know, you got biblical sanction for that right there in verse 11. All right, that's the first day of the week. Again, you notice, first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Here we find that it's a practice everywhere. Macedonia, Galatia, he's, he's urging that the, uh, that the uh, Corinthians adopt the same practice concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches, plural, of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week. The first day of every week. There it is. Each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Alright? On the first day of every week. And so this is the day when the believers are assembling. This is the day when brothers and sisters are there and they can make the contributions they're going to make and they make it as a matter of course and the deacons in the uh in the uh, assembly are accepting those funds and taking those funds and putting them aside so that when paul does arrive the fund is already ready to go 
And there's no guilt. There's no uh, last-minute pressure. There's no, oh, Paul's coming to town. We better hurry up and, 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 and get a bunch of funds together. You know, and then people in guilt are like, oh, Paul's coming, Paul's coming. Or, you know, in a, in a dismissive way, say, oh, it's just Paul, who cares, right? Um, they should do it as a matter of course, so that whether it's Paul that's coming or Peter that's coming or Apollos is coming, it doesn't matter who's coming. Somebody's here, we have this fund ready to go. All right? But the first day of the week. Then Revelation 1.10, Revelation 1.10, where it's called the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. Now some people today will try to dispute that the Lord's Day is the same thing as the first day of the week. In other words, they say it's incorrect to put Revelation 1.10 in any link with uh, Acts 20 or 1 Corinthians 16. Okay, Because the Lord's Day here is not defined as the first day of the week. And I agree. First day of week, that expression is not in this passage. That's why I say it is a given. It is known up front. It is assumed uh, in the, in the uh, writing of this text. 96 AD, this is what the first day of the week came to be known as. So I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. And he doesn't describe what the Lord's Day is. He doesn't tell his readers what the Lord's Day is. He doesn't say, you know, the Lord's Day, which, you know, in Hebrew is called such and such. You know, John is very, and John very readily will, will define terms to a Gentile audience if they don't understand it, or define terms uh, if they're not well known. You know, uh, rabbi, which translated means teacher. I mean, John is really, really capable of explaining things that need to be explained. He, he just blows through this verse, calling it the Lord's Day, and feels that no explanation is necessary, right? That the, the recipients of, you know, in these seven churches, the recipients of this epistle, um, they don't need to explain to them what the Lord's Day is. It's just assumed. It's a given. Everybody knows, which is why I think that we can link it the way we do there with Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 16. In any event, this is where we are. Point two then, the explicit Sunday resurrection is also helpful to identify the Friday crucifixion. And here we got to spend some time to work our way through this. The explicit Sunday resurrection is also helpful to identify the Friday crucifixion. We have the explicit, in other words, it's spelled out in the text, first day of the week, first day of the week, first day of the week, all four Gospels, first day of the week, okay? We also recognize that in you read all four Gospels and, and look at the cross, not one of those Gospels says, by the way, this is Friday. <laughs> okay? Not one of those Gospel records say, you know, uh, Pilate had him scourged and he went out carrying his own cross. Uh, we're told that it was about the third hour or the sixth hour or the ninth hour. We have time verses, but nowhere in, in any of the Gospel records does, is it, does it say clearly that it was Friday that it was the fifth day of the week. Okay? Uh, it, we are told that it was the day before the Sabbath, and they were, they were eager to get, get things done before the Sabbath, which would naturally be a Friday, uh, trying to get things done before a Saturday. But it was also the day before the Passover, which was also a Sabbath, and so that, there remains a mystery, there remains a, a question whether it could be a Friday crucifixion, a Thursday crucifixion, or even the bizarre Wednesday crucifixion that's out there. But, you know, I hold to a Friday crucifixion. That's the traditional view, and it's the view that actually reconciles all the scriptures together. 
The explicit Sunday resurrection is also helpful to identify the Friday crucifixion. Now, the only reason why anybody doubts the Friday crucifixion is because of Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew 12:40, what do we see in Matthew 12:40? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. All right. So, uh, because of that one verse, set point A, the the single, one and only, three days and three nights passage, Matthew 12.40, causes many scholars to hold to a Thursday or even sometimes a Wednesday crucifixion. The single three days and three nights passage causes many scholars to hold to a Thursday or even a Wednesday crucifixion. And that's the basis upon which, when you read their books and their articles, when they defend their case for uh, a Thursday crucifixion, this is the verse they camp on. Okay? They have to. It's the only one they've got. Uh, three days and three nights. And so they say, you know, the Friday crucifixion, the problem with the Friday crucifixion is that uh, you count Friday... Saturday, Sunday, there's three days, but you only have Friday night and Saturday night. Um, they said we can't, we don't see it, we don't see a third night in there. We don't see a third night in there. All right, so they say you can't have a, a, a Friday crucifixion. Okay, you got to have a Thursday crucifixion. That way you've got Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and then when they show up at the tomb early Sunday morning, uh, the stones rolled away and he's raised from the dead. And so they will, they will look at you and, the, and this is what they write in their books, this is what they write in their journal articles, uh, or if you're speaking to them face to face, this is what they tell you. He must have died on the cross on a Thursday. Um, that way you have Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. Okay? Um, the problem is though, then with that, you end up with a fourth day. You end up with Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He's raised on day four. Okay, And this is what you end up with if you're trapped into kind of our use of idioms, whereby if we say after something, then that means the next day. Okay, So after three days means on day four. Okay, After this week means next week. Okay, After this class means not during this class okay and that's just the way we use the after idiom in most of our time expressions now the problem is is that beyond that that passage doesn't sit by itself we have multiple on the third day passages on the third day passages including multiple ones in Matthew, the same author that gave us Matthew 12:40, as well as Luke, Acts, 1 Corinthians, on the third day. This pinpoints a Friday crucifixion. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, on the third day. And they pinpoint a Friday crucifixion. So starting with Matthew 16:21, the first use of the word crucifixion. <clears throat> um, 
No, maybe not. Okay. No, it just says killed. It doesn't say crucified. Uh, Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. On the third day. There it is. And, and what we have to do is we have to compare Scripture to Scripture because Matthew 12 is not wrong. And Matthew 16 is not wrong. So these idioms, these expressions, for three days and three nights, and on the third day, we need to understand how they connect. They're the same thing. They're absolutely the same thing. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay? That is the same thing as saying on the third day. And we're going to demonstrate that here shortly. In fact, I'm going to read from a Harold Honer article that'll read, that will expel this out very clearly. So, three days and three nights. Four, three days and four, three nights. The idiom for, F-O-R, the prepositional phrase for and on. For and on. Okay? On the third day. Um, next chapter, 1723. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. On the third day. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 19. Verse 18 says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify. There it is. And crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. On the third day. 2764. And here, this is interesting. Look at this. I know sometimes it bugs you when I say 64 and then I back up to read verse 63. But understand, I'm going to bug you in a good way this time. What happens when you back up to verse 63? These Pharisees are talking to Pilate. If I back up to verse 62, you see that. And the Pharisees are talking to Pilate and they say, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. So there's your expression, after three days. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. They don't say until the fourth day. They say until the third day. And that's uh, significant. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away. It's not necessary to have that guard there until the fourth day. That's right. They're going to be knocked over dead here on the third day anyway. All right, now the ones in Luke, I think, um, are pretty well parallel to what we've already seen. Uh, let's go to the ones after the gospel records. I, hopefully I won't regret not looking at those in Luke. Luke 9, 22, 18, 33, 24. Luke 18, 33. Luke 24, 7, 21, and 46. Anyway, they're on the screen. You can write those down. Acts 10, 40.
on the third day. We, uh, he says, we're witnesses. Okay, here's Peter is in his uh, sermon here, Cornelius' house. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. And that's an interesting phrase right there. Normally speaking, in resurrection body, our resurrection body is a spirit body. Our resurrection body is not of this physical dimension. And not only was he raised, but he was also granted that he become visible. Not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. A verse I think it's mentioned in our evangelism classes for some reason. <laughs> right? The gospel in ten words. Okay. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised, when? On the third day, according to the Scriptures. All right. So we have a single three days and three nights passage. We have a single after three days passage, voiced by a bunch of liars. Okay. And then we have scads of, scads is just a larger number, I can't count, uh, a larger number, multiple, on the third day passages. Okay, So how do we put those together? Well, we recognize idiomatically what is in play. Idiomatically. And then chronological aspects of the life of Christ. Wonderful book. Uh, I have it in journal form in the, the various articles that appeared in the, in the uh, Bibsack Dallas uh, Seminary Journal. Um, chronological aspects of the life of Christ. And I don't think this has ever gone out of print. Uh, Harold uh, went to be with the Lord December a year ago already, I think. It's been a, I think it was more than a year ago. He's in heaven now. And, and as soon as he went to heaven, then a lot of his old stuff got back in print, <laughs> which I guess happens. Uh, he had an Ephesians commentary and some other things that were out of print and then came back into print after he died. Uh, this one, though, I think was always, always available. It's never, it's never gone out of print. It's always been uh, able to be purchased. Chronological aspects of the life of Christ. And it does a lot of things, not only to show the day of the week being Friday, but to show why it's 33 A.D. and not 32 or 30 uh, A.D. for the crucifixion, to show the timetable in Daniel 70 weeks uh, to, to bring you to Palm Monday of 33 A.D. Um, even the, the birth of Christ uh, with... Uh, Different things. Now that I think actually bears some adjustments because uh, the understanding of the of the particular eclipse that pinpoints Herod's death at four BC that now is in question in recent years, and uh, there there may be other reasons to to actually let that four BC date adjust a bit for the death of Herod. Anyway, um, powerful book, and, and I recommend it. You can read it a hundred times and learn something more from it every time. Uh, but I think he does a good job charting out this... Uh, oh, back up. There we go. Charting out the um, day of Christ's crucifixion and the idioms that are employed, okay? To show that it was a common Jewish idiom to use for three days and three nights, but you're really talking about that third day 
on the third day. That any length of time that is four is highlighting that final day. And to, and to show that it's not, it's not wrong to say after 40 days, but you're really talking about that 40th day. And the Jews did that all the time. And if we're uncomfortable with it, we should at least learn what their idiom is so that we can accept it based on what they meant when they said what they said. Okay? And it's just, a, it's just a, it's not weird or it's very common. We do the same thing today. Sharon and I are always, always um, having to clarify with each other because she uses the wrong uh, time designations. And I don't know if that's just, you know, hampered the way she was growing up in Texas, but that's just what it is. Okay, I'm teasing. I'm probably the one that's wrong. Neither of us is wrong. It's just the way we use what we use. Okay? And when we talk about this versus next, this Thursday versus next Thursday. All right? And if we're going to have, uh, if we're going to have uh, a deacon's meeting, next sunday are we going to have a deacon's meeting next sunday are we going to have a deacon's meeting this sunday okay because we're already past sunday today's wednesday so um you know this sunday well we just had communion didn't we this sunday three days ago this sunday or was that this past sunday okay and is four days from now Four days from now, is that this sun, Sunday? Well, it's this coming Sunday. Okay? As opposed to this past Sunday, this coming Sunday. Next Sunday, Sharon would tell you that next Sunday is not four days from now. Next Sunday is 11 days from now. Okay? You like that? Is that how you use it? That's wrong. <laughs> well, maybe in New Jersey, maybe in New Jersey, next Sunday is... All right, so the, the point is... We use terms in different ways. Everybody does. And so you've, you've got to come into the idiom the way they used it. The idiom the way they used it. When I first went to boot camp, it was my first time ever in Alabama. First time anywhere in the South. First time anywhere. First time I ever flew on a plane. All right. Um, it was my first time east of Washington, Oregon, California. Okay. You got those three states on the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California. You got British Columbia just north of Washington. That line of three states and a Canadian province, I had never been east of that line. My whole life was in a, in a, in a territory bordering the Pacific Ocean. Okay, and so then they put me on a plane, and the army sends me to Alabama, and I learned right away that people spoke differently in Alabama. And, and I've since learned that it's common to much of the South in, the, in what everybody is fixing to. I had never heard fixing to, ever, until I got to Alabama. And then I learned that it was also useful in Texas and a few other places. Fixing to, okay? I had no idea what fixing to was. I had to learn fixing to. Bob even tried to teach fixin' to to the Russian speakers in Ukraine, and they, they had something fairly close, but not exactly. All right, let me read Honer, his chronological aspects of the life of Christ. As far as the day of the week is concerned, part four is the day of Christ's crucifixion. Um, there are three views for the day of Christ's death, namely the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday crucifixion. Um, 
those who hold the Wednesday view, and this is really a, a fringe minority, not many do, uh, they, they say that because he died around sunset on Wednesday and he rose exactly 72 hours later. And uh, so they have a 72-hour precision that is really kind of alien to the ancient world. Um, the most well-known exponent of that view is Scroggy in recent days. Anyway, if you can read his works, I'm going to skip through that. The uh, Thursday crucifixion. As with the previous view, those who hold a Thursday crucifixion date camp on Matthew 12.40. They think the Friday view has three days but only two nights. And so the most well-known advocate is Westcott, but is also elaborately detailed by Aldrich, most recently by Rusk. And uh, you can read those if you want to. The adherents of the Thursday view would outline the calendar events as follows, and, and they've got the uh, triumphal entry on Sunday, Nissan 10, and they work your way through Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then the Last Supper Wednesday evening. Uh, that gets rid of the silent Wednesday problem that uh, the traditional Friday view has. The, the Catholic calendar, by the way, is awkward because they insist on that Palm Sunday and the crucifixion Good Friday. And so they've got this silent Wednesday, this mysterious Wednesday that um, they, they struggle with. Um, we don't have that because we don't have a Palm Sunday. We've got a Palm Monday. And so we don't have a, uh, a missing Wednesday. We don't have any, we can have, we can track day by day by day by day. Uh, he has his last supper with the disciples Thursday night. And then at midnight he's arrested and Friday morning he's tried and Friday he's on the cross. Um, in any event. But some people really don't like the Friday crucifixion because, again, it's that three days and three nights. And they say, you've only got Friday night, Saturday night. That's only two nights. Okay? Um, but you've got Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You've got three days. And what we're going to learn with the idiom is is that day and night are a single time chunk. And if you have a part of any time chunk, you have the whole thing. All right? So any part of a day is the same as a day and a night. So the two nights is not a problem because you have three days. That means you have three time chunks. You have on the third day, and it's the same idiom. Okay? Anyway, that's the quick and, and ugly version of... You can't put time chunk in a, in, a, in a journal or a book. So Honer doesn't use time chunk. He uses a, a technical term, and I'll show you that here in a moment. All right. Anyway, he outlines the Thursday view. I think he does a good job. He, he actually very fairly lays out the view of the Thursday crucifixion folks and doesn't malign it. He presents it fairly as they present it. That's actually a breath of fresh air. A lot of people put up opposing views, but they, they're kind of dirty in the way they do it and makes it look ugly when they do it. And uh, prejudice is the case against it. Honer does a great job defining, describing their views. All right. Um, there's a lot here on the Thursday crucifixion. Then he gets to the Friday crucifixion. Jesus predicted that he would die and be raised on the third day. Countless verses for that. One reads these events in the Gospels, one clearly receives the impression that Jesus rose on the third day. Jesus' body was laid in the tomb on the evening of the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. All those verses. The women returned home and rested on the Sabbath. We're told that in Luke 23, 56. Early on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb, which was empty. So there you have it. Three days. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that's just the plain language of these verses. Um, on the same day uh, he rose from the grave, Jesus walked with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they told him, 
in Luke 24, 21. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. That's what those two men told him on the Emmaus road. They said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? Okay. Are you the only person that walks into church and says, who's George Zimmerman? (laughs) All right. These men on the Damascus road are like, you know, don't you watch the news? I'm teasing. Okay. So, I mean, you could not live in Jerusalem that week and not know who Jesus of Nazareth was. Everybody was taught. Those who hated him were talking about him. Those who loved him were talking about him. Everybody was talking about him. Jews, Romans, everybody. All right. So uh, on the same day that he rose from the grave, Jesus walked with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they told him their master was crucified, and now it is the third day since this occurred. This then points to his crucifixion as having occurred on Friday. With all this evidence, the only viable conclusion is that Jesus was crucified on Friday and rose on Sunday. This view also fits well with Old Testament typology. On Monday, Nisan 10, Jesus presented himself as the Paschal Lamb. Remember, it was on Nisan 10 that they identified the Lamb uh, without spot or blemish. On Nisan 10. He's not killed until Nisan uh, 14. But he's selected on Nisan 10. It goes back to the Old Testament um, giving of the of the Passover uh, ceremony. Um, so on Monday, Nisan 10, Jesus presented himself as the triumphal entry on Palm Monday. On Nisan 14, he was sacrificed as the Paschal Lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ our Passover has been crucified. On Nisan 16, his resurrection was a type of the offering of the first fruits. All right, on Nisan 16, the, the first fruits. In conclusion then, with the most natural reading of the New Testament, one would conclude that Jesus was crucified on Friday and was resurrected on Sunday. This is also the common consensus of the church fathers and scholars throughout church history and is the generally accepted view today. The biggest problem of this, of course, the critique of this view, the one problem that is proposed against the Friday view is Matthew 1240. Back to that again. And that he would be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Admittedly, this is the most difficult verse for those who hold the Friday view, but it is not as formidable as it first appears. Not as formidable as it first appears. So, if all those New Testament verses, again and again and again and again, they say on the third day. They never say on the fourth day. They always say on the third day. Um, in John 2, Jesus spoke of his resurrection. He said that he would be raised up in three days, not on the fourth day. There are four passages which speak of Christ's resurrection as occurring after three days. But this is speaking of the same time period as on the third day because of their uh, synoptic parallels. And uh, we have no... Uh, problem identifying identifying them as such now we don't use after that way but they do we wouldn't use after three days to refer to on the third day but they do that's the point if i say after three days then i'm talking about on the fourth day at the earliest that's just the way we use after it's not the way they used it and we already saw in matthew 27 63 where the pharisees stated that 
Jesus had predicted, after three days I will rise again, and they want the guard to be placed until the third day. And so the idioms are equivalent. And, and they're not equivalent for us today, but they were equivalent for them back then. So that's, that's just looking at the New Testament. That's just looking at the New Testament. I think the case is closed looking at the New Testament. But there's more. Having looked at the New Testament evidence, was this standard Jewish thinking or not? So if one looks at the Old Testament and rabbinic literature, we find that both Old Testament and rabbinic literature agree. And they agree with our understanding here of the New Testament usage. Uh, So let's look at the Old Testament. There are several Old Testament references that show that part of a day is equivalent to the whole day. Part of a day equals the whole day. So in Genesis 42.17, Joseph puts his brothers in prison for three days. It says, so he put them all together in prison for three days. Makes sense. Plain language. But then, just next very next verse, Joseph said to them, on the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your... So you see that? It was on the third day that he talks to them, he lets them out, he sends ten of them back, or nine of them back. I guess Benjamin wasn't there yet, right? And um, so there's back-to-back verses. Genesis 42, verse 17, verse 18. Verse 17 says, he put them in prison for three days. And then on the third day. On the third day. So we see that they are equivalent expressions. Part of a day is equal to the whole day. Likewise, 1 Kings 20 in verse 29 Israel and Syria camped opposite each other for seven days. And on the seventh day, they began to do battle with each other. Now, this is the number seven instead of the number three, but it's the same idea, right? It's the same for and on interchangeability. So in 1 Kings 20, verse 29, they camped over against one another seven days, and on the seventh day, the battle was joined. The sons of Israel killed the Arameans, 100,000 foot soldiers in one day. Okay? Or a hundred captains, if you like the uh, the LF idiom that Titus was trying to teach us about a couple years ago, Titus Kennedy. In any event, um, but there it is again: four seven days, meaning on the seventh day, not on the eighth day, on the seventh day. Um, another example in Second Chronicles ten five. Rehoboam stated that the people of Israel were to return to him in three days. He said to them, return to me again in three days. So the people departed. And he consulted with the elders in the meantime, saying, you know, what answer should I give this, these people? And the young men gave him stupid advice. <laughs> you should have listened to the old men. And, uh, but no, he listens to the young men. And when they come back, down in verse 12, you'll notice Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, return to me on the third day. He said, return to me again in three days. Okay, So on the third day, that length of time equals that final day. So that's the Old Testament evidence. Uh, likewise, the rabbinic literature. The same concept is borne out in rabbinic literature. Several passages found in Jewish literature which combine Jonah 1.17 with um, all of those Old Testament passages we were just looking at. Um, the, uh, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And uh, in the rabbinic 
literature related to the Jonah passage, they connect it to those verses, those on the third day verses. So you've got Midrash Rabbah. There's a Midrash on Genesis 22.4. A Midrash on Esther 5.1. A Midrash on Psalm 22.5. And in all those... uh, Wow. I may just go ahead and teach all day. I don't want to drive home in that rain. My Mustang leaks. (laughs) All right. So in all those passages, in the Midrash, in the, in the, in the Aramaic uh, Targums, in the commentaries, in the, uh, in the rabbinic literature related to these passages of Scripture, they make connections with Jonah being three days and three nights in the belly of the, of the uh, whale. Furthermore, Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah, lived about 100 A.D., tenth in the descent from Ezra, said... All right, there's the onah, a chunk of time. Uh, a day and a night are an onah, a portion of time. And the portion of an onah is as the whole of it, is as the whole of it. So if we have a portion of a day that equals a day and a night in the tracking of days and nights, three days and three nights. So it's not a problem that you only have Friday night and Saturday night because you have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, three days, any portion equals the whole. That's why he can be raised on the third day, and it's the same concept as three days and three nights. All right? So in conclusion, when one examines all the evidence, New Testament evidence, Old Testament evidence, rabbinic literature, all are in agreement that part of a day is counted as a whole day and a night. Thus the expressions, the three days and three nights, after three days, on the third day, they're all one and the same time span. They all support the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified on Friday and resurrected on Sunday. Resurrected on Sunday. Okay. Looks like the rain's going to stop. All right, so... If you want more on that, again, it's Harold Honer, Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. Um, you probably pay more in shipping than you will for the book itself. If you get it in the Amazon used marketplace somewhere, it's, it's really uh, a pretty reasonable text. And I don't even know how many copies I've had over the years because I've given away more copies off my shelf. And now I've got it in the Logos software, so um, I don't actually need the paper copy anymore. All right. Point three, let me introduce you to where we're going to go next week. The asynchronous accounts are difficult to harmonize. What do I mean by asynchronous? Yeah. They're not synchronized. They are not synchronized. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not synchronized. We're doing the synchronizing. Because of the format of, of this class. <laughs> We're teaching a chronological study of the life of Christ. We're teaching as we have for the last seven years. And the accounts are not synoc- uh, synchronized. Nowhere in Matthew does it, does it coordinate those events with Peter and John racing to the tomb. 
Matthew's account does not record Peter and John racing to the tomb. They're not synchronized with each other. By the way, it's the same thing with Daniel and Revelation. In the book of Daniel, we have the 70th week where a a covenant is made with the coming prince and that covenant he betrays halfway through. And we have the 70th week of Daniel that has two three and a half year periods of time. And we know that for a fact is, is what Israel has to look forward to because only 69 of their 70 weeks are complete. The 70th week is yet to come. We turn to the book of Revelation and we have trumpets and vials and bowls. I'm sorry, seals and trumpets and bowls. And we have seven trumpets, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. But we don't have, they're asynchronous. They're asynchronous because nowhere in the book of Revelation does it say, be nice if it did, but nowhere in the book of Revelation does it say, behold, this trumpet is the middle of that week that Daniel was talking about. (laughs) Okay? We can look at trumpets, uh, uh, seals and trumpets and bowls, and think of the, the coming tribulation in thirds, but not halves. And so they're asynchronous. And that's why when people synchronize Daniel and Revelation, they do so in different ways. And I think we have to be fair to good men that do it in different ways. Some that put the trumpet seals and bowls all in the last half of the Great Tribulation. Say none of that was in the first half. Others put the seals in the first half, but the trumpets and bowls in the second half. I'd say that's pretty common. Maybe they put seals and trumpets in the first half and bowls in the second half, because the bowls are the great wrath, and the second half is the great wrath. Or maybe some put the first six trumpets or the first five trumpets. But they find different ways to synchronize Daniel with Revelation because the passages themselves don't do it. And that's what I'm saying here with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, If John talks about Peter and John in a foot race to the, to the tomb, Matthew doesn't talk about that. So how do we synchronize them? We're the ones doing the synchronizing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't do the synchronizing. So these asynchronous accounts are difficult to harmonize. I think probably this is the trickiest wicket in the entire Life of Christ series. A.T. Robertson created an excellent framework, and that's the outline we're using. We've been using the A.T. Robertson outline uh, for his Harmony of the Gospels. That's, that's what we've been employing all this time. We've tweaked it a bit. We've changed the dates. I think he held to a 30 A.D. 30 AD crucifixion, or 32. No, 30. He held to a 30 A.D. crucifixion. I hold to a 33 A.D. crucifixion. Um, I think he had a Palm Sunday. I've got a Palm Monday. We've tweaked a few other things. Johnston M. Cheney drafted an excellent narrative. And that's your handout. You're going to go home with your excellent narrative and you can just read through it. And it reads like a storybook. It reads like a story. And it takes all four Gospels, puts them together in a single narrative, and it reads like a story. You read that to your kids. Grandkids. (laughs) Great-grandkids. All right? But I settled on the following outline. And uh, I'm going to spell it out for you A through G. But I'll do so next week. Um, A through G. We're going we're to spell it out. 
Um, so, yeah, that's where we'll pick it up. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for this study. Thank you for the opportunity we have to uh, study to show ourselves approved. And it's, it's been a blessing for us, Father. We understand that this is an exercise we are doing for our greater understanding, part of searching the Scriptures and seeing if these things are so, part of um, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. And at the same time, Father, also we're very... Uh, we do recognize, Father, that we need a relaxed mental attitude and understand that if, if it was absolutely critical that every last detail be synchronized this way, then you would have done that, Father. You would have synchronized it yourself in your scriptures. Uh, you've not chosen to do so. So we, as we do this exercise, we have some humility and some uh, intellectual honesty to realize that different folks will uh, harmonize these in different ways. Uh, we can be relaxed about certain particulars even while we, uh, while we study to show ourselves approved. So, Father, bless our continued efforts as we continue moving forward. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.